get into things, I've uh, got a couple of announcements. First, um, thank you for being here. We're glad you're here this morning. We're 6-8 Church, if you don't know that. That's from Micah 6-8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly? That's what we're trying to do as a church, be a church of disciples who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. We're in a series right now, actually in a project, a journey uh, that's extending for several years um, that's going to cover um, all of these topics about what it means to be a disciple, what does it mean to follow Jesus. And we're in the first one, that's the first one that we're covering right now, it's called Understanding Redemption. So we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But before we do that, I have some announcements. So first one, you may have seen this, I was supposed to announce it last week and I forgot, tons of turkey. Um, we have we have, I especially have a dream of providing a turkey for every family that comes through the food pantry the week before Thanksgiving this year. Now, they, they get a good amount of food every week when they come through. They're, we're able to provide them uh, through, through a lot of uh, networking, both with the Clark County Food Bank and other, other agencies in town, provide them with a great meal on a, on a weekly basis, great food that lasts uh, throughout the week. But we would really like to provide more than that on Thanksgiving week. We'd like to provide a turkey. Now, um, that's about, we, I think, probably between 150 and 175 turkeys. So it's literally over two tons of turkey that we need to provide if we're going to be able to do that. So we're asking for your help. And the way we're asking for your help, it's, it's not that big of a, of a contribution. It takes just a little bit of time, and there are places where you can do this. So uh, my wife told me that Grocery Outlet has a sale right now. What's it called? Eight. 30 bucks. If you spend 30 bucks, you can get a turkey, a turkey for eight ninety nine. As a grocery outlet right now, and usually Winco will do a sale as you get closer to Thanksgiving, where if you spend over $50 on groceries, you can get a turkey for like 25 cents a pound, between 25 and 30 some cents a pound. So it ends up being about six or seven bucks, just like grocery outlet. So what we're hoping is, is that, that you will take an extra grocery trip sometime between now and Thanksgiving and buy a turkey and bring it to us here at the church, if you, and uh, we'll We'll figure out how to freeze it. Uh, Kelly's already worked with the uh, food bank. They've get, agreed to let us store the turkeys over there. And so, uh, so we'll be storing our turkeys over in a big, huge freezer over the Clark County Food Bank. And so if you can help us collect 175 turkeys, we can guarantee everyone who comes to the food pantry on Thanksgiving week gets a turkey. That sound good? All right. So, go out, buy a turkey. You can buy a bunch of turkeys. You don't have to buy just one. If you want to donate money towards buying turkeys, then we can go out and, and buy turkeys at the end whenever we're getting close to the deadline. But um, please join us in that. I think it would be a great way to care for those who use the food pantry. Last week, um, I missed it, was, was uh, I think it was just National Orphan Sunday. And, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a thing that beats close to the heartbeat of God as orphans. Well, this Sunday is World Adoption Day. And so if you see, if you see people on Facebook or online with putting their hand up with a smiley face on it, that's this kind of, you know, standing in solidarity with people who have been adopted or, or been through the process. Adoption is close to uh, my heart because it's, it's in my family. My, uh, my dad, after his dad passed away, was adopted uh, into, into uh, uh, well, my dad's grandpa married, and, 
I don't, he wasn't technically adopted because they wanted to keep the last name Lindner so that, that the name would live on so that, you know, we could have a, the epic Lindner name carry on for generation after generation. Um, but my brother, when he was married, he adopted a girl into their family, and then they've also um, adopted two boys from China over, over the last five or six years, and uh, lots of friends we know uh, who've adopted uh, boys from India and, and other places around the world. Adoption, as we're going to find out as we continue on through the series, is very close to the heartbeat of God because we are, we are all adopted into the kingdom. We're all adopted as sons and daughters. And so um, it's a good day to, to remember our, our spiritual adoption and then to let God challenge us. What is it that He wants us to do when it comes to taking care of the orphans around us? How can we get involved? And if you missed that… Hudson, Daniel Stoles came into the world during Supermom, chasing Supermom on Thursday morning, um, and, and weighs six pounds, eight ounces. So we literally have our first six, eight baby um, <laughs> at the church. So, and they're, they're all doing well. Everyone is, everyone is healthy. The baby is calm and cool, and Jeremiah is completely freaked out, doesn't know what's going to happen, but um, no, they're all doing well. So make sure you're uh, encouraging them, loving them on Facebook and things like that. So that's all the announcements. I think I covered it all. Before we get into our first discussion group, I want to do a quick review of what, where we've come so far in the series. I'm just going to highlight the statements that we've made every week, and then we're going to jump right into our first discussion question. So, the first week was an introduction to the idea of discipleship, and we said that true disciples exchange their pursuits, passions, and possessions to carry the cross of Jesus' mission. So, we were talking about how when we obey God, when we go to follow God in the, in the path of discipleship and being made in His image and, uh, and doing what He has created us to do, that there are things that we're going to have to lay down in order to pick up the cross that He's called us to carry, and that's our pursuits, our passions, and possessions that we have, and our selfish desires need to be laid down, and we follow Christ's desires. In the first official week of the series, we were talking about God, and we said God knows everything, God made everything, and God never changes. And so we, we established the idea that God is, is the, uh, the, the establisher, if you will, of the universe, of everything we know, that He created truth and the idea of truth. He created wisdom and the idea of wisdom. He created people. He created the earth. He created the universe. God knows everything. God made everything, and God never changes. Then the next week we said that we need, to have, we need to have a document that we can, we can put our faith in, that we can have trust in when, we are, when we're trying to know what it means to follow Jesus. So we kind of spent some time developing the, the validity of the Bible and that we can trust the Bible when it says what it says. And we said this, read the Bible for what it is, not what we want it to be. <clears throat> so we have to go to the Bible, read the Bible, and see what the Bible is actually saying, not bring our lens and our interpretation to the Bible and try to get what we want out of the Bible. We have to read the Bible for what it is, not what we want it to be. Two weeks ago, we talked about how we were created in God's image, and when God made Adam and Eve, He made them in His image, and the Bible says, uh, in His image, male and female, He created them. And so, we talked about how uh, our purpose is to bring glory to God, and when we know our purpose, we can live with purpose. And so, if our purpose is, 
is to glorify God, then we know our purpose, so now we can live with purpose in our lives, and our lives need to be all about giving God glory. And then last week, we talked about how fall has scratched, the fall scratched the record. We talked about Adam and Eve eating the fruit in the garden, disobeying what God said. The fall has created an ache in us that can only be filled with grace. So that's how far we've come so far, and I, I hope you know this. We're going to talk about this a little bit more today, but Every week when we're talking about these topics, there is so much that the Bible says about all of these things that there's no possible way I can cram it all into one sermon, and everybody said, amen. Um, I was expecting that to be a little more enthusiastic, but there we go. But what, what I'm hoping as, as we go through this, as we, as we develop ourselves as disciples, as we allow God to chip away and, and uh, chisel away at us and mold us and shape us, is that we will have a growing passion and desire to really dig into the story, dig into the Word of God, dig into the Bible, and really understand on a complete level, on a holistic level, what all of this stuff means. And that's what's going to happen today. We're going to cover from about 30,000 feet the idea of grace. We're going to cover the idea of how God has made promises and covenants. And so, um, we're going to only be able to skim across the surface from, from very high above. We're not going to be able to get into all of the nitty-gritty of it because it literally is a theme that goes throughout the entire Bible. So I'm hoping you will, you will develop a passion and a desire to go into that a little bit deeper. So now let's get into the first one. Here's a quote um, I'd, I'd like for you to, to write down if you, if you can. If you don't uh, have your notes yet, you can write this down later. It'll be on the screen again in just a little bit. Stephen Richards, uh, just uh, a note, I have no idea who Stephen Richards is, if he's Christian or smart or stupid. I just found this quote, and it makes sense, so I thought I would share it with you. Um, Promises are only as strong as the person who gives them. Promises are only as strong as the person who gives them. So, um, you've all experienced this in your life. I'm sure that you have had someone make a promise to you and then break that promise, And so you know that based on uh, that experience, you probably uh, kind of set a barometer, you set set a level at which you can trust the promises of that person. And so when they fall through on that first promise, it's like you're establishing, okay, this is, they're only this strong, they're only at this level, this is kind of the level I can trust when they say they're going to do or to not do something. When they make a promise, I know they will or won't keep it. So promises are only as strong as the person who gives them. It's not based on the strength of the promise. It's not based on the strength of the person who's receiving the promise. The strength of the promise is found in the person who gives it. But what happens when you break a promise? I don't know if you've ever, ever broken a promise. I know I've broken promises. I'm a, a very flawed individual. I have a lot of mistakes that I make on a regular basis, and I've broken promises, broken promises to my kids, broken promises to my wife, broken promises to you, um, broken promises um, throughout, you know, I'm starting to sound like a a promise breaker, not a promise keeper, but um, that movement is over, so I guess it's okay for me to admit that. And, um, but what happens when you break promises? What do you lose when you break a promise with someone? Trust, right? So, and I don't know if you know this, but trust is a very fragile thing. Now, um, I found this coffee cup. If this is sentimental to you, I apologize. It's a Xerox cup. found it in the kitchen. I was going to break one of mine, but uh, didn't want to break one of mine. 
so I'm breaking one of the churches. But it's a Xerox mug. Somebody gave it to the church, and it's a copier, so I don't think it has any real deep, significant spiritual value. But um, So last week, we scratched a record. This week, I'm going to break a cup. I think I have some aggression issues I need to work out. <laughs> you guys might want to shield your faces in the front row. I'm just kidding. I won't. <laughs> That's kind of. Oh. <laughs> I really wa- I wanted to just bring it up on stage and just, but then, you know, we have kids that run around the service, including mine, and around the sanctuary afterwards, and I figured it probably wouldn't be good for them. So here we have um, what used to be a coffee mug. See, now we have a problem, right? Because I haven't had enough coffee yet today. There it goes. Oh, oh, there we go. Look at that, huh? You guys are just waiting for me to cut my finger. That one's not going to work without this one. Uh, What happens when you break a promise? Thank you. Somebody finally said it. Yeah. (laughs) When you break a promise, it's like breaking a mug. It's like breaking anything. It's really hard to put all the pieces back together. I see I have all these little teeny tiny pieces that remind me of breaking a can. You know, the, the stick candy canes, those Slim Jim uh, kind of candy canes that were like an inch. We used to get those all the time as a kid, so I'm really having to fight the temptation of putting these little bits of peppermint in my mouth because that's what it looks like to me. Um, When you break a promise, you lose trust, and when you break trust, it's like breaking something, and it's really hard to put the pieces back together. It's really hard for us to be able to, uh, to reassemble the pieces of this mug. And so, um, this week, we're going to kind of switch things up and just try and experiment. Instead of focusing uh, the first time on our, on our uh, last week, we're going we're gonna to switch that up and, and just jump right into this. So... Um, I have some questions I'd like you to talk about. Have you ever broken a promise? Totally out of sync with my my presentation here. Um, There's your quote. Promises are only as strong as a person who gives them. Have you ever broken a promise? Has someone ever broken a promise to you? Have you ever broken a promise to God? And has God ever broken a promise to you? So, if you will, will you turn in your groups and talk about those questions for just a few minutes?
Have you ever broken a promise? Have you ever lost someone's trust? Has someone ever broken a promise to you? Have you ever lost trust in someone else? Have you ever broken a promise you made to God? And has God ever broken a promise to you? Let's turn and talk about that for just a few minutes. What is a covenant? What is a covenant? Well, you have the answer right there on the screen, so you're good to go. A covenant is a legal agreement between two or more parties. It's, it's binding. It's, it's holding. It's more than just a promise, but it is a promise. It's, it's an agreement. Using covenants is how God communicates to us, redeems us, and guarantees to us eternal life in Jesus. So, a covenant is not just, is not just God, you know, pinky swearing with you. A covenant is God communicating to us, telling us that this is the plan. This is, this is how it's all going to unfold. This is, this is the big story. And He does this because a covenant is a promise. He does this because God promises, God's promises cannot be broken because they are, they are who He is. He, God does not break His promises. God does not lie. God does not change Himself. God's promises cannot be broken because they rest in His infinite and pure character. Another thing to note is that the Bible is a covenant. The Latin word um, that, they use, that they translated testament is actually the word covenant. The new covenant and the old covenant is actually how your Bible is laid out. So when you see New Testament, it's, it's actually the New Covenant. When you see Old Testament, it's the Old Covenant. So the Bible is actually the written word, the written uh, story of God's covenant with us, with God, God's covenant with us as, as His people, as people created in His image. But the covenant of grace is a big story that encompasses the whole story of the Bible. And so um, I decided that it would be better to leave that to an expert to share to you. So here is Dr. Lane G. Tipton to tell you what the covenant of grace is. Got that? Well, we're going to try, try to get into it just a little bit more. And we're going to start, start with Abraham, which he kind of just finished up on talking about Abraham. And there's a passage in Genesis uh, chapter, I didn't write down the chapter, I think it's chapter 14, 15, thank you, Jim, uh, 15, verse 4 through 6. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him. <laughs> This man will not be your heir. He's talking about a son that he had, not by the, the promised way that he's talking about. He's talking about a, a different son, uh, Ishmael, I think is who that was. Um, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Now, if you know, Abraham uh, does eventually end up having a son when he's like 100 years old, and that's a, a story for a different day. Um, but you're going to have a son who's of your own flesh and blood. He took him out outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he, God, said to him, so shall your offspring be. And verse 6, here's the key verse. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that's a verse that's quoted uh, in, the, in the New Testament to talk about how it is belief that, that is leading to righteousness. It's belief in God's promise that leads to our righteousness. It's not the working out of, uh, and fulfilling of the law, which we're going to cover 
but it's, it's the belief in God's promise. And the reason that's so important to understand is because, uh, like he talked about, how the Old Testament was a foreshadow that it led up to Jesus, and then the New Testament is covering what happened with Jesus and the, and the gospel that came through Jesus. Now we're living removed from that story by thousands of years, and so it becomes important that we're able to understand that, that belief, that the idea of believing in that gospel is what leads to righteousness. Believing in the promise is what leads to righteousness. So, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That should be in your notes. But that's not all that happened in the Old Testament. Not very far into the Old Testament. The next thing that happens is that uh, God gave the law to Moses. But as we see um, in, in uh, Galatians chapter 3, which we'll get to in just a minute, that the law served as a curse. Here, look at the very beginning of, of, Gen- of Exodus 20. It says this, God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of savory, slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? These are the Ten Commandments, which, which uh, form the, the basis for uh, the law. No other gods before me. Don't make idols. Don't, use the, don't misuse the name of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. Um, when people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but don't, don't have God speak to us or we will die. Can't handle it. It's too much. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And, and uh, I think that's a very important part of the Old, of the old Covenant, the Old Law, the, the uh, Old Testament that, that we don't spend a whole lot of time focusing on. Um, God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. See, the, the, old, the, uh, the Old Testament, the Old Law, the Old Covenant, whatever you want to call it, all of the stuff that was, that's, that's kind of encapsulated in the, in the Old Testament serves as a curse. It serves as something that we cannot possibly live up to, but it was there as a test. It was there as, as something God would use to test us so that the fear of God would be in us to keep, to keep us from sinning. It's there as a test so that we would be afraid of God, like they're supposed to be afraid of God, like you see a little bit of the fear of God, but it's supposed to be there to fear God and keep us from sinning. Now, Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. That is, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. So here we see Paul talking about the law, and Paul was, was, you know, the person, was somebody who had an, an, an entire understanding of the law that we cannot grasp. He, he was a teacher. He was one who, who was over a lot of people when it came to the law and understanding the law, and he, he taught people and he held people up to the law. He was a, a, a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. He was somebody who stood out above all the people when it came to the law. So here Paul is talking about the law, and he has this understanding that we cannot possibly hope to have. 
the law is not based on faith. And that's important. Why? Because the promise is based on faith. The, we have to believe the promise in faith. It's not our ability that, is, that, uh, that gives us the promise. It's the promise of God that gives us the promise. So now, throughout the entire Old Testament, we see this, we see this pattern where, um, and, and a lot of this, there will be stuff in your notes this, and your uh, packets this week, other reading material to help you really get a good understanding of these covenants of, of the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses, and then, and then there's this pattern that we see that, that goes on. It says, people sin, people pay the price for their sin, and then God gives them forgiveness. People sin, and then people are punished because of their sin, and then God gives forgiveness. And we kind of see this cycle go through the whole Old Testament where people, people sin, people pay the, the punishment for their sin, and then God gives them forgiveness. And then they live in that forgiveness, they enjoy that forgiveness for just a little bit, and then they get right back into the habit and the pattern of sinning. And that goes on for, for hundreds, if not thousands of years, until Jesus comes onto the scene in Matthew, and He sets up a new promise. Jesus comes as the promised Messiah. He comes as the one who is going to not abolish the law. He's not going to get rid of the Old Testament law, but He's going to fulfill it. He's going to bring it to completion. He's going to, he's going to show that all of that stuff that everyone had been talking about for hundreds and thousands of years is all pointing to Him. He's the Messiah. He's going to fulfill it. He's going to bring it all to fruition. Jesus came and brought in the law of grace. Matthew chapter 26 verse 26 through 28. This is what we're going to celebrate next week when we talk about redemption. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and He had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to His disciples, saying, take and eat. This is My body. Then He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins." This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What is the new promise, the new covenant that we talk about? It's that Jesus' blood provides forgiveness of sins. Jesus' blood provides forgiveness of sins. So, so no longer do we have to, like the Old Testament, sacrifice animals and shed blood so that our sins can be forgiven, but Jesus' blood provides that forgiveness once and for all mankind, which we're going to talk a lot about next week. Once for all mankind, Jesus' blood provides that sacrifice. This is the new promise, and now we're living in grace. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in our place paid the price for our sins. That's the new promise, and God always keeps His promise. So, that's, that's kind of really quick at, at a glimpse, the idea of, of the covenant of grace. That's, that's just really highlighting just big, big bullet points, all of the stuff that, that we're trying to encapsulate. But now, there's a lot more to it. So, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. If you have your phone, uh, I'd encourage you to pull it out and go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hopefully you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have a Bible we can give to you. Um, we think you need to have your own Bible. Mark it up. Uh, write in it. Underline It's a good thing. That's what I do in my Bible. Hebrews chapter 10. While you've got your phone out, feel free to check in on Facebook. Tell the world you're here. Talk about my anger issues. 
Hebrews chapter 10. This is going to reinforce some of the stuff that Dr. Lipton was saying in that, in that little clip. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. little Southern Ohio just came out in me. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, pay attention to the contrast in the language here. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would, have not, not have, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have uh, felt guilty, guilty for their sins. So he's saying that if their sins completely justified the people, paid the price for their sins, um, they would only have to offer them once and they'd be good. So obviously the, the sacrifices that were made had to be offered again and again because they don't completely pay the price for the sins. Verse 3, but those sacrifices are an annual, annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse 4, that's one you might want to highlight and underline. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So the first part of the verse, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse 5, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. So now he, he's, he's going to explain this in just, in just a minute. So he's, let, me, let me kind of just say that again, explain that again. When Christ came into the world, he's saying, sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. It's not, so Jesus comes in as the Messiah, and it's not about the sacrifices and the burnt offerings that they had done before. It's about his body. He's, he's saying that and making that clear. And with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. My body, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Now, what is that? Verse 8. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. Though they were offered in accordance with the law. You might want to under, underline that. Sacrifices and, and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, even though they're offered in accordance with the law. God wasn't pleased with them, even though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. That's very important. He sets aside the first to establish the second. We don't, we don't sacrifice animals anymore. We don't, we, don't, uh, we don't sacrifice bulls and goats anymore. There's a reason for that. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So he sets aside the first for the second, and by that will of setting that aside and coming by, you know, to do the will of God, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The law is just a shadow of what's coming, and then Jesus comes on the scene, and he is the perfect picture of what redemption is all about, and he sacrifices himself with his body for, for our sins to pay the price so that we wouldn't have to. Even though the sacrifices of bulls and goats was a part of the law, they didn't have the ability to take away the sins. So he set them aside, set aside the whole system through his death on the cross. Now, we're going to keep going. This is the, this is the best part. Of, not the best part. Uh, these next four verses, three verses, are just fantastic. We're going to dig into them. Verse 
11. Hebrews 10, verse 11. Day after day, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Just kind of get the picture, the, the, uh, the exaggeration, not the exaggeration, the extreme uh, point that he's making about how much the law required. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices. Again and again, he offers the same, again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered, listen to this, for all time, one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Listen to the contrast. Now back, verse 11, verse 12. The law is this, day after day, again and again. Galatians 3.23, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Before the coming of Jesus Christ, before the faith that we now have, we have the ability to put our faith in Jesus Christ and the work He did on the cross. Before that came, before that happened, we were held in custody under the law. We were locked up in the, with the, without, without the real faith that was to come before it was revealed. We were locked up. We were in bondage. We were, we were enslaved to the law. So here's for your notes. The law is toilsome and tiring. The law is toilsome and tiring. Day after day, again and again, over and over. But then Jesus comes. Jesus comes, and then what happens? Look at this. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down. The, the law in the Old Testament, day after day, again and again, the priests had to fulfill the responsibilities and the duties of, of carrying out the law. When Jesus comes and he offers for all time one, the, uh, one sacrifice for all sins, he sits down. Galatians 3.24, the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. The law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. By faith. See, grace comes through Jesus and it gives us peace with God. That peace that has been missing, like we talked about last week, the peace that, that was destroyed with the fall, that peace that we're aching and longing for, that ache that is in our heart, in our soul, in our, in our entire existence that we cannot quite explain. We can't put our finger on it. There's this ache for peace that we just don't have, and grace comes through Jesus Christ and gives us peace with God. We're going to talk about that next week in Romans chapter 5. Grace comes through Jesus and gives us peace with God. Do you see the contrast? Do you see the, the difference in the picture? The working, the toiling, the, the day after day, having to try to live up to the law, and then Jesus comes, he does it once for all mankind, and he sits down. Verse 14. Verse 14 is another great example that we're going to focus the rest of our time on. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Made perfect forever are being made holy. It doesn't seem like those two work well together, right? It seems like those two are in conflict with each other. So if you're made perfect forever, why do you need to be made holy? If you're being made holy, then are you really perfect forever? It doesn't seem to make sense. Well, let's dig into that a little bit. Made perfect forever, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. So in Christ Jesus, you are, you are all children of God through faith. 
For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. In Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. When we're baptized into Christ, we put our faith in the work and the saving grace of, of Jesus Christ. We're baptized into Christ. We believe that he died on our place, that that whole work has, has, has taken place in our hearts, and, and now we are what? We're clothed with Christ. That work is done. God now sees us through his Son. He sees us through the lens of his Son, which is perfectly righteous. But then, those who are being made holy... See, God sees us as complete, but we all know full well, right? None of us are complete. None of us are perfect. No one in this room is perfectly holy, right? We know that. I'm not. I'm far from it. I'm far from being perfect. So sacrifice was made. We're covered in Christ's righteousness. That's how God sees us, but here we are walking this earth. We're being made holy. This is why for for this week, the verse we started studying last week is Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And we've talked a lot about this. We're going to talk more about this, and I can't stop talking about this, so you're going to hear it just a little bit this morning. Being confident of this, that he who began the good work, see, that's, we're, we're made perfect. That's the beginning of the good work. He who began it, though, is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, has has Christ Jesus come? Is, is, the, is the new Jerusalem here? Is all of, the, is all of the, the perfect kingdom of God in place yet? Well, no. So there's work that has to be done to be carrying us on to completion until that day. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, have we received salvation? Absolutely. Are we redeemed and justified and seen as righteous in the eyes of God? Of course we are, but that does not mean that we get to just sit back on the couch and call it good. God is working in us to will and to act to fulfill His good purpose. It feels like a tension, right? It feels like something that we just can't understand. But that's why it's the covenant of grace. Grace. It's the new covenant. It's the new promise. Grace, which is unmerited favor, is ours who are being made holy. And while, yes, we receive grace for our sins in the past, we also receive grace for our sins in the present and grace for our sins that we have yet to commit in the future. Grace is the covenant, even though we're not yet holy. Here's a little video to help you understand grace. Grace, gained righteousness at Christ's expense. Gained righteousness at Christ's expense. Christ paid the price for us on the cross, and yet we get righteousness in exchange. This is the new covenant. This is the promise. Grace. Grace is why we can be made perfect and still need to be made holy. Grace is why we can have this tension because we have received it, yet we're not there yet. We have we have. And in our hands, we have been given this gift of grace, and yet we are not complete yet. The work is finished, but we aren't. The work is finished, 
but we aren't. The work of grace is complete. The work of grace in our lives for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, who, who believe what He did, that's finished. But we're not. We're not finished. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, absolutely. And God sees us through the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. But while God sees us through the righteousness of His Son, the work of transforming us into His likeness has only begun. While God sees us through the righteousness of His Son, the work of transforming us into His likeness has just begun. We are already redeemed, but we are not yet restored. We are already redeemed, but we are not yet restored. We are not fully, completely restored until the day of our ultimate salvation when we stand in God's presence. Until then, we're being made holy. Until then, God is working in us to will and to act according to His good purpose. Until then, we've got work to do. And this is how the law and the New Testament the new covenant are different. Instead of, of trying to work to earn grace, we've received grace and now we're living it out. We, we cannot believe that we have received this wonderful gift of salvation. We cannot believe that God has poured this out on our lives, that God would choose to give this to us, that, that we cannot believe it and fathom it. And so we, we live the rest of our lives in awe of it and we go after it because how amazing is grace? See, instead of being under the burden of a thousand to-dos and to-don'ts, living under the constant fear that if we break just one of them, we're condemned to hell in the hope that we might earn grace, we find ourselves having already received God's grace and spending our lives drawing near to God. How do we draw near to God? Well, these aren't the only ways, but here are a few that we're going to discover in the rest of chapter 10 of Hebrews. Hold unswervingly to the hope that we have. Hold unswervingly to the hope that we have. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Meet together and encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body. Stop for just a second. The, in the Old Testament, there was a, a curtain that kept you from actually being able to go into God's presence, and only a few select people were able to actually go in there, and they would uh, what, they'd tie a string on your toe with a bell on it in case you died in there, and they could pull you out because no one uh, was actually allowed to be in God's presence except for the few who were chosen. But then, as we will talk about next week, um, and you've probably heard us talk about before, when Jesus was crucified, when He died on that cross, that veil was torn. It was, it was ripped in two from top to bottom, and, and, it, and, and it explains that it would take that even two horses pulling on either side, going in the opposite direction, could not have torn that veil. It was the work of God tearing that veil so that now we could be in God's presence. Since we have confidence to enter that most holy place, we have confidence because we're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. We have His righteousness. We are now seen through the eyes of His Son. We have confidence we can go into that holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is His body. His body, when He sacrificed it for us on the cross, opened the way, the new and living way. It's not just a doorway, it's a living way. It's constantly living. It's an alive way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's an alive path through Jesus, that we get to enter into the righteous place into the presence of God. And since we have a great priest, verse 21, over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart 
and with full assurance that faith brings. I'm not doing an adequate job, job explaining this, uh, this whole veil thing, which is why you really just got to get in your Bible and study it and research it. Do some uh, searching online. Go to BibleStudyTools.org and, and do some research on, on, uh, on the veil. You can go to uh, Bible.org, and they've got some great articles there, too. Just do some reading on the veil because it's going to be hard to understand. But, but look, we have, to, we have to finally get a picture of just how amazing it is that we get to be in God's presence, that in the Old Testament, this would have been a, a temple. It would have been, you know, the holy place where God dwells, this building. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we are the temple. We are where God dwells. So when we gather together here, it's not that this building is holy. It's that there are, are a lot of sanctuaries coming together to worship God together. We are the dwelling place now for God. Our hearts are, well, are where our, uh, God dwells, His presence dwells. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. We have access to Him. How foolish of us is it that we don't go after God more? How foolish of us is it that we don't try to draw near to God? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. We have the full assurance through our faith in Jesus Christ that we can go into God's presence. That's amazing. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, so our hearts are sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, having our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Hold unswervingly, unswervingly to the hope we profess. Hold on to it. Never let it go. This, this is an amazing gift that we have. We have this hope that is Jesus Christ. And the hope that we profess is not based on our ability to fulfill the promise. It's not based on our ability to carry out that promise. It's based on God and His never-changing personality, His never-changingness, His unchanging character, and He who promised is faithful. It's amazing. Hold unswervingly to that hope. Verse 24. Because of this, because of how we understand, let us now consider, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. When we're drawing close to the presence, when we're drawing near to God, when we're holding to this hope that we profess, what is the response? The response is not to, to hold it into ourselves and cling to as much of it as we possibly can. The response is to spur one another on to love and good deeds. The response is to not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. The response is encourage one another. And these things that we see, these three things, the, the, the spurring one another on to love and good deeds, the meeting together and encouraging one another, every day as we get closer to the day that is approaching where Jesus returns, we've got to do it more and more. more we, we, don't, we don't slack off. We don't lay back and get comfortable with it. We increase our passion. We increase in our fervor. We increase in our zeal to carry these things out. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. How can we spur one another on? Don't give up meeting together. That means what we do, meeting together on Sundays and throughout the week, that's a very important thing. Don't give up on that. We don't take that lightly. We need to increase in our passion and our fervor all the more as we see the day approaching. Encouraging one another 
all the more as we see the day approaching. Verse 26. These are some really tough verses. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He's talking about the Old Testament. If you rejected the law of Moses, you died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? It's not just bold. I mean, that's just smack you in the face truth. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge, we've received the knowledge of truth, we know what the truth is, what the right thing is, and we keep on choosing to do that thing. Whatever that is, only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? We're going to see next week just how great a price Jesus paid on the cross. And yet we're going to keep on sinning we're going to keep on doing what we think we should get the choice to do, even though he made that sacrifice for us. Treat it as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the spirit of grace. I can't even get into this passage this morning. But as a, as a general rule, we ought to have our antenna up for anything in our lives that is coming at us that says, you're trampling on the grace. You're trampling on the grace. We ought to have, we ought to have it on our radar. We ought to just be constantly in, in the pursuit of God and drawing near to God like verse 22 says so, that, so that, the, that the Spirit of grace can reveal to us those things where we might be in danger of trampling on the grace when we have a full picture of the, of the old covenant and the law and the burden and the curse that was that covenant, when we have a full picture of it and how we have now been set free in Jesus Christ to live in a different way by peace, and we have peace, and we're already seeing uh, that we're made perfect forever, and we're being made holy. When we understand just how amazing this grace is, and we don't have the, the conscience to consider that what we're doing is trampling grace, look out danger, warning. Don't insult the Spirit of grace. When you feel that tug in your heart, when you feel God saying something to you, stop it. When you feel God, God yelling in your face, you got to change this. Literally, for the love of all that is holy, stop. Find a way to stop, and if you cannot stop, 
Find someone to help you stop. Confess your sin, and He who is faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confess it. Deal with it. For we know Him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that we don't just treat grace as this thing that we put in our back pocket that gets us out of hell or whatever we think it's getting us out of. Grace is, is, is amazing for a reason. It's amazing because it has been paid with the blood of the Son of the living God, of a member of, of the Trinity of our God. And He paid it for us. He did it for you and me. He did it even though we didn't deserve it like we're going to talk about next week. Even though we were still sinners, He died in our place. Don't trample on the grace. The work of God is finishing in us to shed all the things that don't give God glory so that all that remains for, is for Him and Him alone. The work of God is finishing in us. It's, it's a work that's being carried out to make us holy. It's a work of, of shedding off all of those things that, that, that are a disgrace so that we can be what remains holy, bringing God glory. God has to shed those things from us so that we can be in His presence in eternity. The work of grace is finished, but God is still working on us. The work is finished, but we aren't. And we can stand thousands of years and have faith in the work that God is doing in us because it's the new covenant, it's the promise And unlike us who continually break promises and come up short, and if the covenant depended on us, this is what we would have to offer. If the covenant relied on our ability to carry out the law and to carry out the promise and the covenants of God, then this is what we would have to present to God at the end of the day. We don't have anything to bring to the table. We don't have anything to offer. It's literally broken. But the covenant is based on the promise of God, believing in the promise, and that's where our righteousness comes from. God never breaks His promises. So as we go about our week, as we head into the week ahead of us, here's what I'm hoping we can do. I'm hoping we can stop trying to put the cup back together. I'm hoping we can stop trying to fit the pieces back together in, in hopes that we will eventually have something that is presentable to God. I'm hoping that we can stop trying to earn God's grace and trying to fix our mess and our own strength. And instead, what I'm hoping is that we will hold on to the hope that we have, holding unswervingly to this hope we profess for He who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. His promises never end up like this cup. Never. Hold on to the hope that we have. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Meet together and encourage one another. This is our hope, that, that we become a tight-knit body that's holding so tightly to this hope that it's what draws us together. And as we hold tightly to this hope, we hold unswervingly to this hope that we find ourselves spurring one another on to love and good deeds. Hey, hey, have you thought about doing this? Maybe you should join me in this. Maybe you should try doing this. Maybe you should stop doing this. Spurring one another on to love and good deeds, in case you didn't know, a spur is not always a comfortable thing. 
meeting together and encouraging one another. We can't give up meeting together. We can't give up encouraging one another. The promise is too great. The promise of grace is too great to give it up. So we're going to stop and talk for just a few minutes about this promise. In what ways are you trying to put the cup back together? How are you trying to put the cup back together? Have you lost hope? Remember the hope that you have in Jesus' grace. If you feel like you've lost hope, maybe that's something you can share with us this morning in our groups. How can you spur someone around you on to loving good deeds? What are some ways that you might be able to actually live that out and pursue that? And what opportunities are you not taking advantage of to meet together and to encourage each other? What opportunities are you not taking advantage of? So, if you will, if you can't, if you just turn, in your, turn your chairs around, we don't, have to, we don't have to keep the chairs all neat and tidy, but just turn to the people around you, get in a group of people close to you, and talk about these questions for just a few minutes, and, uh, and we'll come back and finish up. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, the rest of the chapter, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Remember those earlier days? After you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had, a better, had better and lasting possessions. So... Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. My righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But... We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed because we have hope, and our faith is in the hope of the promise of God. It is not in our ability to carry out that promise. Can you imagine with me for just, just one minute. The band's going to come up. You can go ahead and come up so that everyone starts to feel a little of ease that this is coming to an end. <laughs> can you imagine with me for just a second if, if, what, if what joined us together, if what we were bound by as a Christian community, as a godly community, as a community who so passionately wants to see everyone who has not experienced the grace of Jesus Christ yet to experience it in full. Can you imagine if what joined us together was hope? Can you imagine if, if the thing that was at our core, if the thing that was at the center of who we are as a, as a, as a Christ-centered community is hope? If what joined us together, if that thing that we were holding on to, the thing that we all put our hand on to right at the middle of us was hope. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful. See, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved.
We aren't those who just who shrink back when, when the suffering comes, when the hard times come, when, when pain comes, when the unsure comes, when things come at us that we don't understand where they're coming from or why they're coming. We don't shrink back. We're not destroyed. We are those who believe and are saved. What would our community look like if the thing that was at the center of who we are is hope and the promise of God? What would our community look like if we just all, if we all held on to that with our entire being and this ring at the center of our community was hope and we just decided that we were going to hold on to hope no matter what comes at us, no matter what negative things are swirling around us, no matter what awful things are happening in the world just like have happened in this past week. On Friday night, the news had three stories of children who had, who had been killed by people who were supposed to protect them. The world is broken. The record is scratched. Who's going to step into the mess and bring the hope? That's what I want to know. Who's going to step into the cursed world? Who's going to step into the danger and the disaster and bring hope? You know what happens? The people who bring hope win. The people who bring hope win. And we have the hope. Did you know that we have the hope? There are other people who claim to have the hope, but we have it. We have the real hope. We have the only hope. We have the first hope and the last hope. We have the hope. We're holding on to it. What would it look like if we were committed as a community to hold unswervingly to that hope that we profess, and that is what we were known for, hope? Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you're feeling, what you're dealing with. I don't know how hopeless you might feel, but I know that Jesus Christ has hope for you. I know it may seem like that's an impossible thing to say and that I can say that from outside your circumstance and how could I possibly know, but I know for a fact that Jesus has hope for you. I know this because he endured suffering and shame, because he who went with scorn and a beating and humiliation endured the cross still did it for us. He gave us hope. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what kind of pain you're facing. But I know that the hope is in Jesus Christ and nowhere else. So, where's your hope? Is your hope in your own ability to put the cup back together? Is your hope in the covenant of grace? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your hope. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that I do not have to perform up to a standard to receive your gift because I would come so short. I thank you that you paid the price for my sins on that cross so many years ago so that I could stand here and profess this hope that I have to those who are gathered here today. Father, embolden us with hope. Let us be the kind who don't shrink back because we have faith in the belief, because we believe the promises of God, because we believe that we are covered in the righteousness of God. And just like Abraham, when he received righteousness with his belief, we have received righteousness in our belief, and now we have faith in this hope. And Father, let it be said of us that we never swerved, that we never let go. 
Let it be said of us that in the community and the 8 to 15 and the people around us, the people who are connected to us, that they know us because we have hope. Let us not be the ones who bring negativity and condemnation and and terror on the world with our righteousness, our self-righteous agendas, and our law that we that we claim the world ought to live by. But Father, let us bring the hope of Jesus Christ to a world that is hurting and lost. In Jesus' name I pray.